from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. It's Tiny House Podcast. I'm Perry. Good morning. This is Michelle. And this is Mark. I come in a little bit subdued this morning. Subdued? Yeah, a little subdued. I don't know. Usually I'm like, good morning. It's pot, whatever this podcast, podcast. is. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many podcasts happening out of this studio. It's confusing sometimes. I was actually thinking about introducing myself as something entirely different, like MJ or Ms. Michelle or something. So I got to get I got to get more creative with that process. Or as they sa- as they called you from the the event that shall not be named. <laughs> what did they call you? The um, Don't Miss Madame. Uh, da- Madame, Ma- Madame Michelle, Michelle the Master. <laughs> BSDM. <laughs> <laughs> is this a family is it, show is it bdsm <laughs> no it's bdsm it's not bsdm yeah it's B- who Sorry. said bsdm he did well yeah he's oh, a family BFD. man he doesn't <laughs> i don't know i don't he doesn't know, know any stuff. better <laughs> so. i've aged out of that a long time let the right. rumors begin <laughs> so we're we're playing fast and loose today on the tiny house podcast as of last week we told the listeners we did not know who was going to be on the show today and we don't know who's going to be on next week, so there you oh, go. Oh, we don't. Awesome. Yes, we do. Do we? We have a kind of fast and loose in general. There's a name here. Okay. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll announce that at the end of this show. But for this show, uh, interestingly enough, I was watching um, one of those tiny house pod, one of those tiny house TV, TV shows. shows. There's seven of them. Yeah, I don't know which one I was watching now. Really? They're all yeah. Maybe our guest together. can enlighten us. Well, maybe he, he probably will. So we. So I. I saw. Um, Zane Fisher and Extraordinary Structures being featured on this show and was just blown away at the level of technology that they bring to building tiny houses. It was really, really cool. And so I want to welcome, so let's welcome Zane Fisher from Extraordinary Structures to the show. Welcome, Zane. Hey, how's it going? It's going really good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Happy to be here. I'm, I'm really honored to be on the show. It's a lot of fun. Well, some people have said you haven't made it unless in the tiny house community until you've been on the tiny house podcast. <laughs> said no one ever. <laughs> so there you go. If you've ever wondered what the definition of success was, there you go. We just gave it to you. We there made you it. go. You guys really just took a, a load of stress off my mind. I, I'm completely relaxed now. Awesome. That's what we like our guests to be. <laughs> yeah. So tell us, Zane, how. Um, Tell us a little bit about the your journey. How'd you get started in the what you called small structure world? We like to call them tiny houses. You can, I guess, you can call them whatever the hell you want to. <laughs> um, um, so tell us about sort of your aha moment. So let's start with that story. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I built a house with my partner Catherine a few years ago. Um, not a tiny house or even a small house, although perhaps by American standards, it's about almost thirteen hundred square feet. And you're supposed to get all stressed out and (laughs) bothered by doing this process. And I was just having a bunch of fun. And at the same time, I was doing some um, sort of design and development work for a client that was using a a CNC router machine to do some cool stuff in the furniture world. So she's taking basically a computer design file and having this um, fancy robot do some precise cutting um, before assembling her pieces. And I just thought... um, I should stop sitting at a desk getting fatter and balder and older and I should um, I should use one of those machines to make houses. Mm. I think I can do that. 
When you made your when you made the house that you and your partner live in, what how did you build that? <laughs> that house is mostly um, uh, rammed earth. Oh. So uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a t- completely different, very ancient building technology, mm-hmm. and uh, I. You know, I don't. I have a, a little bit of a severe kind of contemporary aesthetic, mm-hmm. mixed mixed with this sort of passion for like you know, ancient ruins. So anything sort of stone and mossy and yet square angled really gets it for me. And I'm I, like when I'm in like a concrete parking lot, I always think about maybe living there. How it's really cozy, sweet space. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow, you're which really not everyone shares. <laughs> no, I, yeah. So, so wh- where have you always been interested in constructing things? No. How did you, how did, where were you before oh, this? Yeah. How did you get into it? Uh, you know, I think I, I wanted to be an architect as a child, but my teachers lied to me and told me that I would have to be good at math, um, which <laughs> turns out to not be true at all. Um, and so I, I ended up going in a different direction, sort of a art direction, and then getting into nonprofit. Uh, management and working with artists um, and I, I've done a couple of different reinventions most more recently I was a journalist for quite a long time oh wow but kind of right out of college I you know worked on a framing crew and then did a, a few different types of construction so I've always been comfortable sort of remodeling places that I've lived in or tackling projects myself um, so, and I've just been, you know, sort of kind of developing those skills in, in making and welding and uh, on the side. And I thought, you know, I just, uh, this is where I have the most. So. It's uh, interesting because the, you fit in, you fit right in with the broader nature of the guests that we have on the show. Although we're the tiny house podcast, we tend to talk with makers and it right. sounds like you're that kind of a person. Yeah, Definitely. And then my partner Catherine is as well. She's she's an artist by trade. She's a painter, but she's has sort of expansive expansive view of painting. And so you know, last year she decided that she would have a show where that would also include doors and and coffins. Um, <laughs> so she taught herself to make both of those things. Um, and you know, building a, a door is uh, is a precise, very fine art. A nice like multi-panel door. Um, but um, you know, building a, a coffin is a whole other level. It's a, almost a forgotten art. So it's funny. We were just talking about coffins earlier this morning. About um, what's the ultimate tiny house? The ultimate tiny house. Is a, <laughs> yeah, is a coffin. You know, I got to say, this is another thing that they were doing these art-related coffins mm-hmm. at my mom's retirement center. They were. They had these flyers up, and I thought that's either funny or entirely inappropriate i'm not sure it seems nice. odd well I mean, so, somewhere in the southern hemisphere they they i think it's the southern hemisphere they make coffins like well, that in like africa they're huge africa, thing that's where, where it is, they, yeah. and they put a lot of money into them and they're yeah. pieces of art yeah but yeah yeah are you familiar with that zane yeah absolutely there there are some great ones on on exhibition in museums in the states so mm-hmm. that being able to see them in person there yeah so, so do you and you, you, you and Kat, the way you have described you and, and Catherine, it's, it's Catherine, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you guys don't seem to have any fear about just doing something that you've never done before. Oh, life is too short for fear. Yeah. Wow. wow. Um, so when we did the, uh, the rammed earth for our, our, our current house, um, we, well, you know, I got quotes from all of these folks to do, uh, to do the rammed earth forest from contractors who specialized in it. 
And I just thought, these quotes are ridiculous. You guys are overcharging us uh, an incredible amount. So we, um, uh, so for like tens of thousands of dollars less than it would have cost us to have a contractor do the ram birth for us, we took a long weekend in Arizona, did a workshop with one of the foremost uh, ram birth builders in the country, uh, bought a tractor, bought an air compressor, bought a pneumatic tamper, <laughs> and did it ourselves. And, and, w- and I still have a sweet tractor. So right on. Score. <laughs> right on. And so for, for people like myself who don't know how rammed earth is created, how do you do that? Yeah, so you use a, a form much like you would pour concrete into, and you sort of build your, your wall. You're creating this sort of negative space that you're going to put your wall into, and then you mix all, almost the same type of um, aggregate that you would use for like a road surface, like a base course in with some additional sand and um, in most places in the United States, a little bit of a very small amount of Portland cement, like 5%. So a big sort of sand pile and sand and rock pile about the the size of like a, a small car, you know, size of a mini or so. And then you crack open a couple of bags of concrete on top of it. And we actually use the tractor to stir that up. And then we take it over and once it's all nicely mixed and you get just the right sort of consistency, um, you drop it in, uh, you drop about eight inches of this stuff at a time into your form. And then you use a tamper, either a hand tamper or a pneumatic tamper, and you smash it down to about five inches. You really compress it. So you're building up these sort of striated layers of an earthen material, and it becomes incredibly dense. And, and quite resistant to, to weather. So you want to build thickly because you don't you have a lot of density but not a lot of R value. Mm-hmm. So our walls are two feet thick. So, um, sorry. Yeah. Um, in, in prehistoric or the, in, in the pre-tractor, pre-pneumatic tamper days, how did people make these things? Uh, with like sticks, <laughs> hardened sticks. Fire hardened sticks. Well, I think I think um, <laughs> Perry has a very curious look yeah. on his face. So, can you differentiate the difference, or differentiate the difference? Can you explain the difference between cob building yeah. and rammed earth? When I he think, said sticks, yeah. I thought cob. Right. So you're thinking more of cob, oh, and if gotcha. I understand correctly, cob is really more of a of a straw, straw and, mud, and mud kind of yeah. a composition. Yeah. This almost seems uh, akin to sort of like an early version of a tip up. You know, a concrete tip up, you build a form, you pour the concrete in, and then you tip the wall oh, up. I see. Um, so how is it different than concrete? It sounds, the process sounds very yeah. much like concrete. Um, presumably yeah. you add water. Yeah, exactly. You use a lot of water. It's very much like, it's like getting to concrete, but it's, um, uh, it's just this, it's a much more primitive sort of uh way of making concrete where we're using these layers and more on-site materials. So there's much less uh, embodied energy, right? Concrete has a pretty high uh, energy cost to create it in the first place, whereas rammed earth does not. So it's like there are parts of the the Great Wall of China that are uh, rammed earth. Um, You've seen sort of skyscrapers in uh, like, you know, old fashioned skyscrapers in like Yemen where you've got, you know, 10, 12 story buildings that Mm -hmm. are pretty much made out of earth. Um, So this is, this is all using this technique. One thing that's really cool about it when you don't plaster over it, if you leave the surface bare, 
is because you're doing you're working in these layers is you see these striations in the earth so you almost get like uh, an effect that kind of mimics the like the tones that you see in the desert you know driving wow. through arizona or new mexico or something like that wow that's beautiful and you guys are in are you, you're in arizona we're in new mexico, new mexico. Okay. santa fe new mexico very cool yeah. so so um <clears throat> this t- what show were you on <laughs> we were on Tiny House Big Living. That's what it was. Okay. Uh, that's one of my favorite yeah. ones. I like that one because it's uh, Tiny House Big Living is where they actually feature you building your own tiny house. That's exactly why it appealed to to us. There was a lot of a lot of time spent on the build, and I, I feel great about our our show. I think even is almost all spent on the build. You know, there's not a lot of like, well, in order to satisfy my free climbing fixation you know. <laughs> exactly. yeah. yeah they uh they that particular show also doesn't attempt to uh add artificial drama yeah, yeah to yeah. manufacture right. drama they understand that the the building process and the building challenges themselves without any additional drama yeah um uh, is, yeah. Is produces a quality show I mean, in all honesty, I'm, I want to run a business and I want to show people what we're doing and use the show to get interest in it and find customers who are a good fit for our philosophy and our process. And I, so I don't want to pretend that um, some friendly guy with a giant tool belt is actually doing the building for me. <laughs> so you're we do like the friendly guy with the giant tool well, belt. One of, Absolutely. One of us <laughs> Just so you know. <laughs> So um, is there a poster with like a like no shirt and like an oiled chest and the tool belt is just oh, bulging? Oh, this is a great segue to my idea for 2017. The um, tiny house calendar? Well, yes <laughs> and no. So I was looking it up the other day. The tiny house calendar has been done. I want to do one that's called framing studs. <laughs> nice. All the tiny house carpenters and tiny yeah. house builders building their houses, shirts off, sweaty. I'll have to go over there and spray some water exactly. on them just in case they're not sweating enough. Uh, you're onto something. Yeah. Thank I you. Nobody else can cool. steal my idea. Yeah, well, it's too late now. It's all it will, will be yeah. out in the universe. <laughs> I've staked Get my claim. Quick. Exactly. Staked my claim. So Zane, your your tiny house, the interior of that thing was I was really impressed with what you guys put together. Well, thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Was, yeah, we're really happy with the way it's come out. Are you actually living in it full time? Um, for the time being, while we're, yeah, we're, we try to keep it really clean, like a show house, but especially in the, in the summer here, it's actually, it's the thing is so energy efficient and the little mini split unit is so lovely that it's, it's quite nice to live in it. Wow. Yeah. I mean, we, we are, you know, um, we'll probably let it go at some point, but, um, so we're trying not to, you know, make it too much of our own nest, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's a lovely space to be in. So it looks lovely. Yeah. I've learned that I really can live tiny um, as long as I have like a five thousand square foot shop next door. <laughs> well, which is which is interesting because the, in the show they show this huge, it, it, at least in my estimation, the huge compound that you guys were working in. That's your that's your construction facility or whatever. Yeah, we have a great little shop slash factory here where we're doing our building. Cool. Yeah. How, how has the show? How did the show uh, perform for you in terms of what you wanted? Uh, it's fantastic. I mean, I, I've got you know a slew of messages every day from all kinds of people. Some are just interested in the process. Uh, some folks want to just sort of offer their cold suggestions. Um, 
you know, a lot of tire kickers, but a lot of people who are seriously interested in, in doing some kind of project. And some of them are attracted specifically to tiny houses. Some of them are attracted to the panelized um, construction system that we're doing. Mm-hmm. But it's been great to, uh, to meet a lot of people and, and start uh, all of these conversations about what can happen going cool. forward. What's a, what's a cold comment? Oh, you know, like, uh, I think you need uh, storage in the floor. Okay. Like great, thanks, thanks for getting in touch. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like people are really into that like smugglers whole thing in the floor. Yeah, like, but where's where's your insulation go? It's confusing <laughs> to me. So, uh, were you surprised? Um, were you surprised by the the interest, and were you prepared for it? Yeah, I think I was expecting it. So. Um, so I'm surprised, you know, I'll tell you what I'm surprised by is that is the amount of seriousness out there. I thought I would have to wade through a lot more just sort of tire kickers and, and looky loos. And, and that's fine. You know, I mean, <clears throat> people are interested in, in different types of housing and, and I think they should contact people. So I don't have a problem with, you know, I'm not annoyed at spending time talking to people who aren't necessarily going to buy something. Mm-hmm. I like the conversation, but a lot of people are really, are really thoughtful and serious. And, and that's been the majority of my contacts. So I, I really like that. What were you doing? What were you selling or how are you making money before you started uh, building this tiny house structure? I was doing like design branding and website development with okay. a small company I had started. Okay. Yeah. And are you are you wanting to to are you augmenting that income with this new idea, or are you wanting to shift into this new idea? Yeah, no, we're a hundred percent on this uh, this construction project now. Wow. So, um, well, sorry. I, so I'm really I'm really I'm wanting to segue to the technology because it seems so. As you can imagine, we've talked to many builders in the tiny house community, and <clears throat> Mark and I, as uh, and Michelle, as entrepreneurs, have looked at this. And have been looking at this from like a, a, a profit and expense kind of perspective, and and many of the tiny house builders are, uh, as businesses, are struggling, um, yeah, because they can't figure out how to make it scale, um, how to margins on a, a low priced thing are exactly. lower margins or, yeah. or well, and eat more volume certifications yeah. and licenses and permits, yeah. And, and all the administrative and, and municipality fees. So I'm wondering if, if the technology that you're employing is is um, a competitive advantage for you in terms of the expense of building these kind of things. Um, it can be in some ways, absolutely. But it's not a huge advantage over someone who has you know figured out their own sort of system. I think we can adapt to some customizing perhaps quicker. Essentially, we, we have a panel a construction panel that we've built that's very similar to SIPS panels that mm-hmm. people might use. Mm-hmm. Um, I like SIPS. I'm a big fan of them. I'm not a huge fan of the manufacturing process and the insulation and the outgassing that can be part of that. Mm-hmm. So we're making our own panels with a, a high-end um, sheet material that doesn't have any outgassing. Um, you know, there's no formaldehyde or nasty bits in it. And then we're able to fill those panels with uh, the insulation of, of choice. So uh, like, for example, we've used a sheep's wool and we've used mineral wool and I like working with both of those products. Um, so it's a, we have a panel system that can be, they can sort of create a structure pretty quickly and because we're using software to design it, we can actually kind of 
uh, say, okay, here's the footprint of our building, and we've done the coding so that we can enter sort of building parameters into a field and see it kind of instantly populated in a 3D model. Hmm. And that is a really effective tool for working with people who are trying to figure out what they want. Mm-hmm and for answering some questions. And then, you know, from that 3D model, we can basically turn that into a file that we can take over to our router and start cutting that out. So it, you know, there, there really is a benefit with volume with robot tools, um, right? You know, on the first, the framing of the first one, we didn't put it up any faster than you could have, um, you know, done a traditional stick build. Um, you know, or a, or a metal framed uh, house, that's for sure. But we've, we have some efficiencies we're achieving in terms of infrastructure, in terms of plumbing, squareness, rigidity, um, and everything kind of just fitting together almost like a big Lego. One of the things I think is out there, if you'll allow me just to continue. Go ahead. Yeah. Ramshackle run on sentences. Um, <laughs> I think there are people who want to want to put in that sweat equity. Sometimes it's for pure sweat equity stake. Sometimes it's because they just want to be part of their build. So you know, we we can build somebody a finished unit, but we can also um, you know flat pack them all the components for assembling their shell. So and they can knock it together with you know a level, a drill, a mallet, maybe a ladder. Um, you know, you don't need a lot of um, refined or developed construction skill to put this together. Wow. So the, hopefully, I mean, that might be something. that That's pretty efficient for us to create the components of a shell. And we can sell that to someone. It would cost them a little bit more than it would to just go pick all those materials out themselves. But this is more of a, this is like a foolproof system. So it can be affordable for someone who wants to get into it. Hmm. So many of the tiny houses we talk about and we see are on trailers. So um, are your tiny houses, are <laughs> your small structures, can they be modified or can are they um, are they good to go for a, for a trailer or this is all just foundation build stuff? Uh, no, you can do you can do trailer or foundation built. Um, you know, it's a it's a funny one. I, I see a lot of people sort of coming to this realization and maybe venting about it on, on social media or where, wherever that they're, they're thinking a trailer built home doesn't make a lot of financial sense necessarily. And, it, and I, I never, I guess I never saw anyone really arguing that you had some people who did their own, um, really bootstrapped it. And then you have, for some people, it does make sense to buy something that is essentially a travel trailer. So it's depreciating in value, but their life circumstance, it's a calculation that works for them. If you're just purely looking at what makes the most sense in terms of an investment in your primary home, something on wheels is never going to be the answer in our current economic and cultural condition. So I like a system that can do both because I like something that's small, smart, energy efficient, relatively affordable that someone can earn equity with. So that's a foundation build. But some people are interested in being able to, you know, move around a little bit. I mean, mostly these things are so heavy that it doesn't make sense to haul them around very much. Right. Yeah, but the current economic scenario we're in is really what predicated the need for tiny houses on wheels. Um, well, it, it wasn't the tiny house on wheels, though, was because they were trying to get around the... the um, zoning. Yeah, the zoning and the problems yeah. of putting it someplace. Right. 
So, so that's an economic situation that's created by most people um, or by the people that are interested, myself included, in tiny houses on wheels or those of us that um, are not in a position to be able to invest in large plot of land and oh, a foundation. I see. Yeah. And, I see. And it. the $20,000 it takes to dig a well right. and to, to do all that infrastructure right. stuff. So for me... Um, yeah, I, I recognize that my $35,000 investment may not always, you know, may not ever return that, but um, the flexibility is worth it. I yeah, exactly. For some people, it really is. Yeah. Un- unfortunately, I think, you know, we're reaching a point of sort of hype with the tiny houses where sometimes people aren't necessarily aware of what they're buying. You know, I right. just had some people get in touch with me and they had a house built for them. They brought it out to the city that they're going to retire to. And they're like, oh, wait, what do you mean? This is completely illegal. Yeah, that's I was going to ask you about that when Michelle was talking about building it on the trailers, because we we talked with a, a builder. I'm getting my guests confused. It might not have been a builder. It might have been a minute a, 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 a um employee of a municipality that we talked to offline who was talking about um anyway it doesn't matter where it comes from but we were talking about the nature of these things being built to rv standards and that being a problem for most jurisdictions because it's illegal to live in an rv full-time that was the Oregon guy yeah the Oregon. yeah that's right thank you yeah Mm -hmm. and so you know when you i was going to ask when michelle was asking about how you what you put these things on is if you're building something in a found on a foundation i presume you have to get it to the location by by a truck or something like that and right well are we we transport the panels individually they can be oh. pre-assembled or they can be flat packed so it's easy to put it together on the site but not having having built the whole building so we can sort of create our panels and take them to a site that's where i was um just this morning, we we're doing, I call it a small structure as opposed to a tiny house because it's really just a backyard studio. It doesn't have mm-hmm. plumbing or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So this is a job for some people who want a really nice, beautiful space in their backyard. Um, and what we did is we used our system and cut out all of the components of their house in our little factory. And then we took it down the road on a truck and locked it all into place and assembled it there. So this is a lot like the traditional um, modern um, manufactured, I don't think they call them manufactured homes, but those things that they engineer in a factory. And prefab. Prefab, that's mm-hmm. what it is. Those, those really yeah. high-end modern homes that are prefabbed, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, there, are, there are a few different things that are kind of exciting that are going on, right? You have your tiny houses on wheels, and and uh, I, I'm you know very much interested in participating with my municipality to see if they can become one of these cities where they're opening up a bit of flexibility at least, like maybe a relative or a caretaker or <clears throat> you know if they're not going to go full bore because you can understand why people would be a little hesitant to if you say okay people can live in RVs, then <laughs> yeah, you you create a problem and there's there's something you it can be hard for the law to distinguish between a really beautiful handcrafted tiny house and a crappy plastic RV. I totally agree. That's what we're trying to do though. Well, yeah, it's, yeah. And and, yeah. And it's up to the municipalities to figure that out, I suppose. But he, but it's, it's true. I mean, someone living in, what do you call those things that you have, Michelle? Um, that little trailer that you've got that you go glamping Glampers. In. Yeah. Someone living yeah. in one of those, but not as nice as what Michelle has, <laughs> w- could, would, could, it, they could argue that, hey, my thing is an RV. Why can't I live in that? But this, this yuppie ass white 
young rich kid can live in their little artisanal thing but me me my poor low-income self i can't live in the little rv that i have what's what's up with that well and that's a real that's a legitimate part of a dialogue that needs to happen like if you're gonna say one of the things about this is flexibility and and price and a situation that's been put on us by economy then it can't just be um you know privileged white hipster kids who can access them yeah by the way, a little known fact, actually, there is already uh, in existence age discrimination when it actually comes to RVs, um, believe it or not. There are a lot of RV uh, parks, there are a lot of campgrounds that actually will not allow any RV or any vehicle of any kind that was manufactured before a certain date. Oh, right? yeah, I've heard about it, that. It's normally about, these <clears throat> days, it's like pre-2000 or something yeah. like that. Cause yeah. they, um, and, and again, I have a 1964, but... She's gorgeous, and her name is Betsy, and I'm very proud of her. But uh, we get a lot of discrimination. So, um, so even in the RV world, there's a lot of you know, there's um, there are differing opinions about uh, what constitutes a, a, a habitable or even a acceptable RV. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Hey, hey, Zane, I wanna I wanna go back to something that you said um, and kind of get drive into your your character and where that comes from so you had said early in the show that life is too short for fear i think you said yeah where, do, where does that come from uh, you know I, I mean we all i don't know it is isn't it <laughs> isn't that just a truth <laughs> uh i, I think it's many an people, understanding that you get that a lot of people don't that's exactly yes that's exactly right so I'm how did afraid of what you're gonna say yes yeah, so how did you get that understanding <laughs> <laughs> well you know, I'm I'm always a little bit frustrated with um, you know we you go through life and um, not everyone you know who's listening to the show will have experienced maybe like losing someone close to them. But when you when you do, um, especially if it's you know sudden and unexpected, you you're filled with this like visceral in your bones knowledge that like anything can happen and you you know you shouldn't be like wiling and wasting away in a cubicle farm or like getting too stressed out about this or that and then i guess uh, it you know a few weeks few months later somehow you lose that edge and you go back to sweating all the small stuff and um or at least that seems to be the tendency that we have adopted and it always bothers me that i lose that you know that i get that clear sense of like valuing life of remembering to be alive remembering to not be angry and um, I hate it when I lose that and then I, I actually um, just before we started our prototype build we had set up our little factory and you know I went into the um, I, I had this weird a little they call it a like a fatty lipoma it's like a non-cancerous bump yeah. right but it was bothering me it was kind of on my up toward my neck and I had it removed no big deal outpatient surgery and um then you know whatever six seven days later on a balmy christmas morning i was like oh this is this is wrong and i met my surgeon at the emergency room and uh they checked me into the hospital and i spent five nights there and it was actually uh i guess what you technically call a close call so i'm trying to try to remember that um that life is indeed too short and we should not be scared of of people or ideas or adventures and especially not of trying new things and learning new things and figuring out how to do stuff hmm. is what is, is did uh, 
I'm sorry, Zane. There was a part of that story that you kind of—I think you skipped over. So when you had the 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 surgery and then you went home and then you went back to the emergency room, what did they find? Did something happen that in the surgery? Uh, so, yeah, it, it just had become infected, right? Oh, okay. So I uh, was—it was basically you know a, a risk of like sepsis type of situation. Yeah. My blood turning toxic and all that type of stuff. Yeah. Wow. Have have you lost someone in your family before? Um, yeah, my, my dad died suddenly one morning, so okay. yeah, just in an accident. I see. Wow. Do you have children? Um, what's your, uh, what's your family structure like currently? Uh, no, no children. Um, and, uh, no, no dogs at the moment either. But so we, we, uh, also, uh, lost our dog last year, the year before, but so we're taking a little break to, for easier travel. But I'll probably at least have a you know a canine companion again soon, because hmm. they just they look at you with those eyes and they really just want food. But it's so effective. <laughs> <laughs> Children do that too. <laughs> yeah, cats do that very early in the yeah. morning. So it's okay, Amer- Americans. Yeah, yeah. Well, the reason why I ask is because um, you talk about you know life is too short for fear, and you uh, you talk about not wanting to to sort of waste away in a cubicle. And there are many of us, myself included, that share that desire and share those values. Um, However, um, we have children, and so we have other sort of responsibilities. So it becomes a challenge to balance your your dreams and your future and how you really want to live against your, you know, current responsibility to keep a roof over the little damn thing's heads. Um, totally fair. Yeah, totally fair point. It is totally fair. And it, it's, um, it's I, I reel against that because sometimes I think, I under, while I understand that, I don't know. I guess for me, there and it's easy for me to say because I don't have kids, that what do you... <laughs> You're, you're, I guess you're, you're sacrificing what could be to give to another person. And I guess in mainstream society, that's what you should be doing when you have kids. I guess I kind of, I kind of, I don't know. Well, I think of it um, <clears throat> at this point in my life because mine are almost moving out. They're moving out in January. Did I mention that? No, you didn't. Countdown. Well, <laughs> exactly. Um, <clears throat> at this point, I just consider it to be, you know, that was that part of my life. Yeah. And that was what I'll call a short-term sacrifice. If yeah. you think of your life as 100 years and you have children that are around for 18 years and, um, you know, a little bit of overlap. So I will have been a, uh, a custodial parent, shall we say, for 20 years yeah. out of my 100 years yeah. of life. So um, I just wanted to point out for the listener's perspective that um, we all would love to have the kumbaya existence of quitting our jobs and um, you know, being a barista and traveling the world in a 1964 glamper. Um, <laughs> but it, some of us just takes us a little bit. We got to get our ducks in a row first. So I just wanted to call that out for the listeners that there is life after parenting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and hopefully, but hopefully during, I think is what, what we're trying to get at. I mean, I'm definitely, I'm grateful. I know that, um, uh, my mother who I'm very close to and is, you know, not just my mom, but also a pal and, uh, um, she made sacrifices to make sure that I was happy and, but also that she could hang out with me. Yeah. Like, you know, that she wanted to spend personal time with me. And so, you know, we, we, uh, lived pretty cheaply and we ate pretty cheaply. And that meant that she, 
uh, was in a position to work less and just hang out with me when I was a little kid, wow. um, which I appreciate. But um, and, and I guess it all ties into what we're hoping. I think we're maybe all are hoping to see an increasing amount of alternative types of housing and lifestyles and a big, um, maybe a broader ecosystem of of housing and living options for people so that they can make those choices. Here, here. And, I, and I think, you know, the, the living smaller is often about, um, about being able to make sure that you're, you know, you're providing for your kids or, or, you know, many people want to get a, a tiny house because they're looking for a place to, um, uh, for a parent to live. Right. Oh, yeah. So, um, or they're a parent looking to downsize and, um, be able to, uh, chase their kids around and um, bother them for the rest of time with a, <laughs> a damn house on wheels. Yeah, I was going to say. Never, never escape. Yeah, in home 200 square feet. Home is where you park feet. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Coming home I, from school, uh, uh-oh, the, the house is gone. <laughs> and there's no note <laughs> the in the recording address. The ultimate fear for every five year, or every 10-year-old. <laughs> um, I do want to circle back to the technology. We, we sort of made pass, passing references to SIPs. So... Um, for the benefit of our listener, a SIP is a, what's called a structural insulated panel. Um, it is a prefabricated panel. Oftentimes it'll have, basically it looks like an ice cream sandwich. Um, so it's got two pieces, two sheets of wood, and then in the middle it's probably got some sort of foam composite um, that acts as the insulative properties. So in stick build, you put up the sticks first that holds it, and then you put the outside sheathing and the inside sheathing and the insulation. With SIPs, however... It all, you know, comes in one big piece and you just tip it into place. So you had, you had mentioned that your products are similar to SIPs. Can you explain to us, I'm going to give you a Michelle, what they call Michelle question, multi-part question. So take some notes. Take notes, yeah. Um, so the first um, question I'd like you to answer is, or to talk about is the difference between your products and SIPs. You talked about off-gassing, if you could touch on that. And then the second thing is I'd like to get back to the sort of CNC process. How much complication is there with the... Uh, you know, with these products versus SIPs or versus stick belt. Yeah, our our panels are um, are essentially boxes. So, like as you said, a SIPs panel is really like an ice cream sandwich. There's no there's no stud equivalent. So, because we wanted to build a box and then be able to fill it with any kind of insulation, we do have a stud. So we lose out on SIPs in the sense that we have a little bit more. Um, thermal bridging going on. However, we have less thermal bridging than most of your standard stick-built houses and uh, more insulating flexibility. And the advantage we are getting from SIPs is a um, that you know you just tilt up, tilt it up into place. Maybe you assemble it first, um, depending on how you're receiving the package. But otherwise, you can just tilt up your walls, and you can kind of hook up your infrastructure as you go, your plumbing and electricity, and you've got all these options for insulation. Um, so it's very similar. It's like building with big blocks, almost like, you know, Legos for big kids. So can I, um, can I give you an idea for insulation if you haven't looked into it already? Here comes a cold comment. Please. <laughs> yeah. A cold comment. <laughs> Thanks a lot for contacting us. <laughs> thank you perry actually i never heard of what that was before. me neither but what he said was is they build boxes and then you get to stuff these boxes with whatever you mm -hmm. choose like right oatmeal. yeah exactly oatmeal <laughs> nice you could do oatmeal you could do like denim <laughs> right yeah. zane am i am i going too far well they're in new here? mexico they could stick no no meth. oatmeal for sure 
filled milk for sure. Rice. Okay, so so here's my suggestion for the listeners. Whoever uh, whoever does this first to get surprised. Um, coffee bags. Do you know how much burlap is actually like disposed of? And there's this mm-hmm. massive, massive, massive. Um, yeah. Coffee is the second largest imported product in the country. We talked about, and we have no mm-hmm. idea what to do with all the burlap. Yeah. So I'm I can't wait for someone to actually start using all those extra burlap bags as insulation. Well, Zane, I have a question for you. So this this wool that you use and mineral you said mineral something or another, I don't understand what that is, but mineral wool, yeah. Mineral wool, yeah. And then this idea of burlap. How do you, when you stick this stuff in these panels, <clears throat> what keeps those things from getting moldy <laughs> and de- and decomposing the the, na- the organic material? Uh well, I I couldn't tell you in the case of Burlap. My guess is that's the that would be the barrier to overcome with using burlap um, is to make sure that it's going to do all right. Wool wool is a pretty amazing natural material, and it uh, it tends to resist mold. It doesn't. One of the reasons we wanted to use try using that is because unlike uh, cellulose, Mm -hmm. it it doesn't compress at the top. So if you do a blown in cellulose or even denim insulation, it it tends to settle a little bit. And you get this cold spot at the top where you don't really have any insulation after a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and wool actually expands. Um, and it's resistant to uh, moisture. And it's very warm and has lovely sound quality. Um, what I would worry about with wool is um, is like a moth infestation. That too, yeah. Um, so... Um, the, the manufacturer of the wool product that we're using um, claims to have a proprietary protein solution, so a relatively non-toxic thing that makes the wool um, completely unappetizing to moths. <laughs> interesting. So I sure hope that turns out to be the case. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> so so in, on the show, Zane, you had some um, folks from the... Um, from the regulating authority. Let me just say, I don't know who they were, but they came in and took a look at your house did they give you uh, their their comments on the show were kind of innocuous? Um, did did they did they say you were good to go with this thing, or did they say, "Hey, we got some problems"? Or how did that go? Um, yeah, we had the mayor, um, Santa Fe Mayor Javier Gonzalez, and the housing director Kate Noble. They came over and checked it out, and I, I thought that was fun instead of having you know like family or friends yeah. come over. Yeah, and um, I, I don't know where it's going to fit yet but um you know like many cities we um we we don't have enough housing Mm -hmm. and what we do have is too expensive for a lot of people Mm -hmm. and the the city has realized this and they've realized that the the economic vitality the creative capacity the the livelihood of the city um does hinge on being a diverse place not just in uh, old retiree community of people who can afford expensive houses. Yeah. So they're they're very interested in proactively finding solutions. So we're talking with um, city policymakers about tiny houses on wheels, about ways to incentivize and optimize accessory dwelling unit um, ordinances, um, about about ways to maybe um, when we think about high density in our community, people automatically go to like you know, tall apartment mm-hmm. complexes. And, mm-hmm. and there's so in, in my town, there's a lot of resistance to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really love the idea of the, the pocket neighborhood 
and um, you know some principles from sort of co-housing. So how about building small units on foundations that are close together in a neighborhood um, that can be very mutually supportive. So ways to create density that allow for more housing supply and more affordable housing, yeah. more attainable housing, but that are maybe different from what people expect when they hear density. Very cool. Well, Zane, it's been... Um, it's been time for a Michelle question. It's time for a Michelle question, yes. Actually, she, it's not She's going with the tough questions, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. She just threw up her hand, so go for it, Michelle. No, actually, I just wanted to give him the opportunity to do sort of his, his elevator That's speech. what I was about to do. Oh. <laughs> it's okay. So, Zane, tell us how people can reach you. <laughs> See, great mind thinks a lot. Yeah, the great do. minds they think do. alike here. Are you there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I am. Sorry. Can you give me one more shot at that? Yeah, we're we're just asking you to give it. We're giving you the opportunity to tell people how they can reach you and. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you can find us at extraordinarystructures.com or you know on Facebook at Extraordinary Structures and lots of the other social media. We're on that strange place House as well. Never heard uh, of that if, one. If you've oh. never seen the, if you've never seen the Japanese horror movie or korean horror movie called house you should really should because it'll it helps okay <laughs> comes with like black eyed people up on the roof looking down on you <laughs> as you blink i, I, don't, I, I don't know i don't know either yeah okay but yeah it's, you know our, our our website is full of forms for people to you know get in touch with us and to tell us what they're interested <clears throat> in and i'm always on the uh, the social media it's a problem <laughs> life's, too, life's too short to waste your time on social media <laughs> that's right <laughs> well awesome Zane thank you so much for being with us on such short notice that you fit right in with our guest our guest cadre so I really appreciate you taking time to be with us this week well thank you we're really honored and, and really enjoyed talking with you guys yeah you're welcome thank you for being here yep and tune in next time listeners uh, when we will we have a name on the account who is it we're going well, to I thought about. we did but no, we don't. I'll actually. be in Vegas. No, that's actually the week after. So. <laughs> okay, so we're going to be talking with yet another interesting personality on the Tiny House podcast, and All we'll right. see you next week. Have a good week, everybody. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes if we remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Maine. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sitecast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. You tiny house-loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon. <laughs>